Well, I need your help for the, or I need some help from the usher, so it's going to take us a few minutes here to get in order. They're going to pass out some 3 by 5 cards. So everybody needs to get a copy of a 3 by 5 card. I also let them know, I'm putting some trash cans around. It is not because I'm a man of faith who thinks it's going to rain today. For those of Village Church, understand if it rains, it leaks. It's not going to leak today, but I've got a reason for this. So, so just get your 3 by 5 card and play uh, dance with uh, the usher. Yes. And after you get that, if you'd open your Bibles to um, Psalm 55. Okay, you got your three by fives? Good. You got Psalm 55? Good. Let's pray. Hey, God, we do give you thanks for the Word of God, and I appreciate Michael's prayer and our preparation for your Word. But we really invite your Spirit now to come and do a work in, among us. There's something about the gathering of the body of Christ. There's something about being together. That your spirit has a real freedom to work in us and through us as being those indwelt by your spirit. It allows your spirit to work through the person next to us. That somehow can have a word for us. Before the service, after the service, that's our time together. But somehow that person is able to speak to us by your spirit. And we study your word, Lord. Your spirit comes along and is able to guide us even to cross-references. Something in your word that we need to hear. Somehow you're able to use illustrations. Somehow you're able to use the things that come from the passage that I don't even talk about. That your spirit has an ability to give that illuminating work. So we ask your spirit to come and work among us for our hearts to be prepared, for us to be responsive to what you want to teach us, that we're those who become more like Christ because of your word. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week I had the opportunity to be at a friend's uh, uh, wedding ceremony up in Minneapolis. And one of the nice things when you go to a friend's uh, wedding ceremony, you get to be with the parents and the people you know, but there's also other friends that show up as well. So we got there. These were friends from North Dakota that showed up. We hadn't seen someone for like three and a half, four years. And uh, after the service, we were getting ready for the... Um, um, reception and everything. We're sitting out in a hallway, and I walked up to one of our friends who I hadn't seen in that time period, and I started talking with Karen. And the thing about Karen that's interesting is that um, between the time we lived there and we moved here, her daughter had been diagnosed with cancer. I had not talked with Karen about that. So I just asked her how her daughter was doing, and by God's grace and mercy, it's in remission right now. She's in college. She's doing well. She had just had a doctor's report, and it came back really good, and she doesn't have to go back for another three months. And then I said, uh, so how did you do through that? And tears filled her eyes. And she talked about how difficult those days were, getting that diagnosis, trying to figure out what's going to happen next contemplating the different therapies they were going to use. And for as a mom, watching her daughter suffer, and unable to do anything except pray and think, there's a sense that you realize the uh, difficult time it is. There's something about when we come across new things, that all of a sudden there's a fear that can fill our hearts. And there's an uncertainty of what's going to take place. It was interesting, though, as we continue to talk, and uh, Karen got towards the end, and things look really good right now. 
there's a couple things that stood out to me. Coming through that difficult time, those dark days, those difficult days, Karen actually had come to a place that if she were to sit down with another mom or dad, another family that was dealing with cancer, I think she would have something to say to them. But I also know as she talked, she also knew how to pray for them as well. There's something about going through difficult times and having your story that all of a sudden other people want to hear what you have to say, especially if your story is what they're going through now. David writes this psalm, and he writes it as a story from his life. And he gives us this story of what's happening in his life. And then he says, I have something to say to you. Uh, it's a story about fear. I mean, if you've ever been afraid of anything, that's what this psalm is about. I mean, if somehow you're just going to a new stage in your life, you know, we talk about the chapters close and there's a new chapter beginning. There's fear of the unknown. Uh, there's fear of new circumstances, new jobs, new schools, new places to live. There's fear when all of a sudden there's a new marriage, there's a new child, there's a new grandchild. There's all these things you're uncertain about in the future. There's fear that sets in our hearts when we get that diagnosis. Or we're just waiting, just waiting for that call. When somehow you find that small lump and you go to the doctor and it's going to be days before you get that phone call. And the fear that can set in your heart. It's fear when things are new, when things change. There's fear that overwhelms us. And David writes a psalm to tell us his story about his fear. When he was afraid and how he felt and what it was like. And says, folks, that's my story. And somehow when we hear his story of fear of what really happened in his life, we sort of stop and say, well, David, do you have something to say to me? And we're willing to listen. And it's something interesting about folks who go through difficult times. You know, the folks who don't go through them with you, they, they have a lot to say. You sit down for a cup of coffee with them, it's like they just talk nonstop. But when you talk with somebody who's gone through the same thing that you're going through, has the same fear that you're going through, who's gone through that, you know what they do? They sit down and listen. They sit down and share their story. And if you said to them, could you give me a piece of advice? Could you give me a suggestion of what to do? They think for a while and they usually have very little to say. They don't give you 10, 20 things to do. They usually may have one, maybe two, ways to help you think through that fear. Look at the psalm and see David's situation. Here's how he begins it. Verses 1 to 3. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. Why? I'm restless in my complaint. And I'm, I'm surely distracted. Isn't that how you feel when you're afraid? 
isn't there a restlessness in your soul? Isn't there a sense when you finally close your eyes at night? Somehow when you're sitting all alone, somehow when everybody leaves the house, somehow when you get in the car and you're by yourself, somehow just when the car's idling at the red light, somehow you feel this restlessness. You can't put your finger on but somehow there's this restlessness in your soul. And he says, not only restless, you actually get distracted. It's like, I cannot focus on the things I need to do. Uh, the work I have to get done, the list I have here, the chores I have to do, all that, I, I, I'm just distracted. Why is he distracted? Here's what he says, verse 3. Because the voice, the words, the sounds of my enemy. Because of the pressure of the wicked. For they bring down trouble upon me. And and in anger, they bear a grudge against me. Lord, I just feel all this stuff going on. It it feels like people are angry at me. People have a grudge against me. It feels like there's trouble. I just find myself dealing with all these circumstances. And there's words that keep coming into my ear and all I hear are these things that cause my fear to create restlessness and distraction. So what are his emotions like? Look at verses 4 and 5. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear, trembling come upon me and horror has overwhelmed me. Well, if you've ever been fearful, doesn't that describe how you feel? We don't tell people this. He says this is all anguish in his heart. This uncertainty, this fear that overwhelms him. The sense of, you don't know what's going on, but inside here, inside here, this fear is welled up. This fear is overwhelming. me. This fear is at work and this anxiety is there. You almost get a sense that he's got a panic attack. That somehow he's so distracted, so restless, he does not know what to do. And the fear just overwhelms him. And the emotions are real. David said, here's how I feel in the midst of this. Folks, fear is real. And it disrupts our hearts. It disrupts our minds. It causes an uncertainty of what to do next. It creates fear about it. We're just not sure. Where do I go from here? And he talks about even the terror of death. Somehow when you're in that car and you slam on the brakes and you just realize you just missed that accident. The fear, the terror of, that could have been death. When the doctor does call, and as with my friend Karen, to hear her daughter had cancer, Could there not have been the fear of death, the loss of a child at that time? Fear is real. And we need to be aware that our emotions are real. And David wants to, here's my emotions through this. And how do we feel? What is what we really want? Here's what he really wants. Catch this, verse 6. What's his desire in this? When you're overwhelmed by fear, he says this. And I said, oh, that I had the wings like a dove. I'd fly away and be at rest. Boy, I don't know about you, but I get afraid and fearful of things. I just want to fly away. You know, you go to orbits and say, hmm, somewhere cheap to go. You really want to just, you think if I get away from here, I can rest. You sit and dream about going, oh, if I only go to the lake. Oh, if I go to the ocean. 
if I pick out the place, you just think, if I can, like a dove, if I can just fly away, oh, get away from this, I'll get rest. I'll give a second picture, he says, um, verse 7. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge or settle in the wilderness. Boy, some of you here, it's like, you know, I just want to go backpacking. I just want to go to a park. I just want to go, I just want to get out. I just want to get in the nature and see. I just want to get away. That's his desire. He gives a third picture. I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. God, I'm in this storm, and it's just pouring down rain, and all you want to do is find a place to get refuge from the rain, the wind, and the storm to step inside. He said, that's what he desires. Isn't that what you desire when you're afraid? Haven't you just found yourself wishing, saying, you know, God, just get me out of here. I'll just quit my job. We'll just move. We'll just get away from here, and everything will be better. Now, if I just get away from where I live, get away from these circles, get out in the wilderness, everything will be better. God, the storm is so bad. Just give me a refuge. exactly how we desire the escape from our circumstances. And David's just like us. I want to escape. I just want out of here. He talks about getting out of here. He then now in verses 9 to 11 gives us sort of a sense of his request. All this is going around him. Here's why it's so bad. He says this, verse 9, Confuse, O Lord, divide their tongue. The word confuse is literally sort of swallow up. He gets two word pictures here. Deals back in the, uh, in the wilderness time where Korah and those people who were sinning against God were actually swallowed up from the earth. It's like, God, I want you to do something with these folks. And the, the dividing deals with the idea that the Tower of Babel, they all spoke one language, they all agree with everybody. So God changed their language and divided them away. He says, God, just take these people who are all unified against me. Just take these people who have, have it all together. Just take all the stuff that's working against me and somehow divide it up. I can finally have some relief what's going on. And then he says this, why? Why does he want this? He says, for I've seen violence and strife in the city. This is King David talking about Jerusalem. Day and night they go around here upon her walls, and iniquity and mischief are in her midst, and destruction is in her midst. Oppression, deceit, do not depart from her streets. God, it's just horrible, the circumstance I'm in. I'm just overwhelmed by the city. I'm overwhelmed by the sin. I'm overwhelmed by the wickedness. I just cannot escape from all this stuff. I remember this uh, past spring. I was leaving campus downtown, and Moody Violence is right downtown, and as I started walking across the street, I saw all this stuff going on. I saw a car up against a pole, and it's like, it just really was chaotic. Then all of a sudden, there were police sirens and people there, and all of a sudden, you're watching this situation. It's like, something's wrong here. There's a person laying out on the street, and it's like, there's something going on here. And you get home that night, you watch the news, and you discover somebody had been shot. Two policemen were driving him. He was in the back seat and somehow got a gun. He starts shooting at the policeman. The other police came and shot him. And here's his dead body in downtown Chicago. I mean, that's where I work. And David talks about the city that way. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves overwhelmed by the city and the suburbs and the life we live in. It's like, God, I just want to escape from all this. It just overwhelms me. God, give me deliverance from this. Confuse them, divide them, somehow bring relief from all that's going on. And then, verses 12 to 15, he tells us who his enemy is. He says, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. He says, look, if it was this person here, my real enemy, 
and they were speaking against me, okay, I could bear that pressure. And so it's like, you know what? God, this is more difficult than when I planned. This is the person that had sweet fellowship. This is the person I came to church. This is the person that sit next to me in church. We raised our kids together. We used to babysit for one another. God, this is my friend. And somehow this friend has betrayed me. It's interesting, last time I preached, we did Psalm 63, which talked about um, uh, Absalom when he pushed David out into the wilderness. And as he did that, he was the one who took over things. It's interesting, David isn't really clear the same time period. But during that time period, he had another friend who actually betrayed him. He started giving advice to Absalom. He actually advised against David. Ahithophel is a guy who did that, and he eventually committed suicide. And it could be. Psalm 63 talked about the betrayal or the sense of Absalom. This psalm could have reference to the same time period when a friend turned his back and betrayed him. He says, that's who they are. As he speaks of this betrayal, here comes his prayer. Now, when you go through the Psalms at times, you come across these prayers. They're called imprecatory prayers. That's the heart, I think, at times of what you want to see God do. We don't pray like this. I'm not advocating we pray like this. But we do think like this. When things are really bad and we really have enemies against us, we not only want to escape, we want God to come and do something. And here's what David says. Let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol. For evil is in their dwelling and in their midst. God, I want you to judge them now. And David, in this overwhelming fear of life and all that's going on, with all the emotions flooding in, with the desire to escape, with a hope that God would do something among them, when he identifies my real enemy as a friend who betrayed me, one who I thought was going to do what I asked, one who's going to stand by me, turns against me. God, amidst all that fear, I just want you to come in and judge. I just want you to do something. And he shares his heart, his story of how he wandered through this fearful time. And then he gives us his prayer, verse 16. And he begins his prayer this way. As for me, what am I going to do in Mitzvah? Here's what he's really going to do. Even though he says, God, I want you to judge. Here's where he comes forward. And he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And he identifies. He's going to pray. Now, as he begins this prayer, he's first going to come along for us and he's going to show us his practice. He says, as for me, I shall call upon God and the Lord will save me. Catch this. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur and he will hear my voice. As he's sitting here talking with us about this fearful time of his life, he sits down and he says, you know, it was one of the most restless times I was so distracted my emotions. Man, I was just trembling at times when I thought about this. I was in anguish. Internally, I was just exhausted. And all I wanted to do was to get away. I just wanted to fly away like a dove. I just wanted to wander out in the wilderness and hang out with God. I just wanted to get out of the storm in some way. Lord, I just wanted you to do something to divide up the enemy in such a way that I could finally get some rest. God, 
God, I just want you to do something in this situation because I'm just overwhelmed. And of all things, God, the painful thing, it's my friend who's caused me all this trouble, has created all this fear in my life. God, God, what do I do? And he says, I'm going to pray. And he, he shares with us, he says, you know, folks, I, I took time three times a day. I got up in the morning. I took time at noon. I took time in the evening. And every time I got down on my knees, I prostrated myself and I prayed to God with my complaint and my murmuring and my hope for God to work. He describes his confidence in this God. Verse 18, he says, He, there's his confidence, He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. For there are many who strive with me. God will hear and answer them. Even the one who sits enthroned from old, with whom there is no charge, who did not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He has violated his covenant. He says, look, God is going to come and save me. He's going to deliver me from these people. Something's going to happen here. And his confidence is not what he's going to do, not how he's going to fix it, not what steps he's going to take. He doesn't stop and say, you know, folks, here's my story. After I realized all that, I just pulled myself up with bootstraps and I just went out and did what I had to do. That's not what he says. When he's overwhelmed, finally crushed, unable to do anything, he says, so folks, here's what I did. I prayed three times a day. I complained. I murmured. I brought it to God for him to do something. And he adds his confidence to it. And I'm confident that God will redeem me. He will save me. He will do a work in the midst of all this. And he shares his confidence of what God would do. Verse 20, um, 21, he says, his speech, he speaks of this other person. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil. Yet they were drawn, drawn swords. He says, look, this friend of mine who just had the greatest words all the time, they just spoke kindly to me all the time. They were so good to me. It's like butter, soft butter. Now, butter's only soft if you leave it out, you know. For those here who like to put their butter in the refrigerator, it doesn't melt on toast very well, does it? You want soft butter that when it hits that toast, it just melts and soaks in. He says, hey, that's how friends are with words. That's how this friend was. They're like soft butter. When things got a little heated in my life, they just sort of threw it across me and it just melted right in and it felt so good. But they actually have words of war in their heart. And David lets us know there's a difficult time in his life, greatly fearful of all that takes place, and after he tells us how he's going to pray, now he has something to say to us. Verse 22 changes his whole tone. 1 to verse 21, it's been I, 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 I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that, I felt like this, I felt like that. Verse 22 changes the subject. It's no longer I, it's you. And he finally has something to say to us. He says, you find yourself in a fearful situation. You find yourself overwhelmed. You find the anguish fill in your soul. You find yourself uncertain what to do. I've shared with you my story how God has seen me through this and he's brought me through. I've now got one word of advice. I've got one piece of counsel. I have one thing I want you to hear. 
And he changes the whole verb here. He shifts everything to say, now here I want you to listen. Here's his instruction. Oh, he wouldn't call it that. That's too bold. Think of yourself sitting with a friend who's gone through difficult times. They know your anguish, your soul. They know what you're going through. They're sympathizing. They're empathizing. They finally are sitting there. It's like that final word. And they just say to you, you know what? I have one thing. I do, just one thing I want to share with you. Is the one thing. That's all I want you to get. And he pauses and gives them that one word. And here's what he says. Verse 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. But thou, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live or have uh, out half of their lives. And he wants us to understand he'll trust the Lord. But his instructions to us. Cast your burden upon the Lord. Now, it's understanding what's taking place here. The word burden here, NIV translates it as cares. It sounds like it's something you possess. The word is literally something that's been given to you. And that becomes an interesting idea. When I'm in a fearful circumstance, I'm overwhelmed by my circumstance, overwhelmed and anguished with fear. And David says, what I want you to do is cast your, this thing that's been given to you. This is what we want us to understand. Somebody gave it to us. Somebody seems to know what's going on. If our sense is the idea that God is so sovereign, that God understands what he's actually handed to us to deal with. When James talks about the idea, you count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why? God's going to use it to grow your faith. Or, or 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where he says, there's no temptation that's overcome you that is not common to man. But God will provide a way of escape for you. It's the idea. And he'll not test you or tempt you beyond what you're able to do. It's like God has an understanding who I am, who you are. And he's going to give you stuff, things, circumstances, and create great fear in your heart. I says, look, when, when things are handed to you of that kind, circumstances that overwhelm you, things that cause great fear in you, something that anguishes your soul, when you have something like that, he says, here I want you to do with it. I want you to cast it upon the Lord. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word cast. I grew up in Maryland and uh, my dad would take me fishing in the Chesapeake Bay. As soon as I say fishing, all the fishermen here, and I know what casting is. I understand. But we would go out. We stayed at Bethany Beach. And uh, we had this jetty that went out probably 100, 125 feet, and just some wooden pillars that are in the water and a small, narrow deck you walked out. When you got out to the end, there was a bigger deck and everything. We'd get out there, and we had these big fishing rods, not these light things you use here, you know, in fresh water. I mean, they're big, heavy rods. And you'd put a weight on that uh, at the end of it. And you had a bobber. And we would stand there on the end of that deck and we'd hold our rods like this and we would fling it out like that. you just want to go plunk. That plunk sounded so good. And then what did you do? After you cast it, what did you do? You cranked it back in and you brought it back. And after you brought it back, you checked the bait and you did it again. And you brought it back in. You know, a lot of times I think that's how people think this word is. 
you got this burden, this thing that is fearful of you, and you sort of cast it out there, and you reel it back in, and it's yours again. And you cast it back out there, and you reel it back in, and it's yours again. You really never let it go. It's still on the end there, and you're holding it, and you just reel it back in. And this idea we cast it out, you know, when you reel it back in, you've got to take care of what you reel back in. I mean, I remember we had checked the bait. And was the worm still there, sort of able to well, you know, wave itself in the water for the fish, say, hey, hey, that looks pretty good. Or had it nibbled on the end, so all of a sudden the hook was exposed. We had to take care of our worms. We sat here on the side, and we took those blood suckers, and, man, we took care of those things, kept them nice and cool. Why? So we could put them on that hook and then fling it out there again and cast it and reel it back in. That's not the picture here at all. It's entirely different than that. This is a picture where you throw something down and get rid of it. This is not casting out that way. This is more like throwing a Frisbee. When you get a Frisbee, the whole idea is you don't want it back. You grab it like this and you just fling it to get rid of it. Surprised you, didn't I? (laughs) What's he doing? Look, you get rid of a Frisbee. You fling it to get rid of it. You are not keeping it. That's the picture here. It was actually used of the idea that, you know what you throw down? Dead things. Got a dead animal, carcass? Throw it down. You get rid of it. Got something that spoils? Throw it down. You get rid of it. You do not keep it in your hands at all. You cast it away. You cast it down. You get rid of it. And David wants us to say, look, we get this thing that fills us up. It causes great fear in us. It overwhelms us. And our tendency is to cast it out there. Oh, I don't know how to deal with this thing. I don't know how to deal with this thing. Oh, oh, I just want to get rid of this. I don't know how to get rid of this. I don't know how to get rid of this. And that's not the picture at all. He says, you take that thing and you cast it. And you're done with it. You've got to cast it. You've got to cast it. You have to throw it away. You've got to throw this burden, this care. You've got to throw it away. You've got to get rid of it. You don't hold on to it. You don't cling to it. You don't think about it night and day. You don't worry about it. You've got to get rid of it. But where do you get rid of it to? Look at your text there. Pay close attention. He says to cast your burden, your anxiety, your fear, your lot upon the Lord. I don't know about you, but I get fearful of things. I sit around with other Christians and tell them what I'm afraid of. That's not what he says to do. He doesn't say pray about it. He doesn't say share with people about it. That's how we sort of toss it out and reel it back in. You know how we reel it back in? We come together again next week, sit down in our community group. Well, Mike, how's that fearful thing going on for you? Well, it's going okay. It's going okay. Let me share with you a little bit more about it. I come back next week. Oh, it's going okay. It's going okay. And we reel it out there with our prayer requests. Don't misunderstand me. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're told to do that. But I want you to see what, what David is saying that he learned from this. It's not the time he's bringing the corporate body here and saying, hey, guys, share it with me. He's saying, look, if you've got something that's overwhelming your soul, your heart, your, your fears are there. You've got something that's overwhelming you and the anguish is in your soul. You're going to have to find a way to cast it. You've got to get rid of it. You've got to cast it to the Lord so he can work. Why? 
And he tells us three promises. He says, here's why you've got to do that. If you're going to keep reeling it back in and taking care of it, it's not going to help. You'll never get rid of it. You'll never be able to deal with it. Why? Because if you cast it and throw it away like a Frisbee, if you fling it out there, he will take care of it. Notice what he says. Three things. First, it says he will sustain you. That's the whole idea. If he's going to sustain us, it's the idea he's going to make provision for you. Nehemiah, when he talks about the wilderness experience, he uses this word. He says, you know, God sustained the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. Their shoes didn't wear out. Every parent said, amen. Their sho- Apparently, they didn't grow out of them either. Amen. Their shoes didn't wear out. How do you drink water in a desert? How do you get meat to eat in the desert for two and a half million people for 40 years? If God can sustain them, two and a half million people for 40 years in the wilderness, providing them water, providing them meat, providing them food, providing them shoes, with this one thing that overwhelms me, this one fear that I have, this one thing that anguishes my soul, if I will fling it to the Lord, He'll sustain me and provide for me through all this thing I'm afraid of. He says a second thing. Not only will he sustain us, he identifies that he will also be the one who will not be shaken. Look, verse 22, second part, and he will never allow the righteous to be shaken or totter or slip. This word shaken is taken from the idea if you take real long poles, you have a 20-foot pole, it's what they use to carry the ark with and everything. And if two of you stood on the end of it and you started taking that pole and you went like this, you know, the spring it gets in it, and you tell somebody to stand on that while you're doing this, whoa, I can't do this, I'm getting shaken off. That's the picture. Or if you're walking up a hill or a mountain where it's really rocky and everything, and you can't find your next footing and you slip, that's the idea here. Or the idea if somehow you climb up, you climb up that tree. When I was a kid, we climbed trees. Don't do this. It's not safe, kids. But we would climb trees. And how high would you climb in the tree? You climbed as high as you could go until it wouldn't support you anymore. And all of a sudden, the wind. And you're up there in the top tottering like this. And unfortunately, a friend would get up there and say, I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. And you have to talk them down. Because they're up there and they think they're going to teeter and totter and collapse and die. And you don't want that to happen because you have to explain to the parents how you helped them up in the tree. It's like... That's the picture he has here. Take any one of those. He says, look, God is not going to allow you during this time of great fear to let your foot slip. God's not going to let you get up there in a high place and let the wind in some way knock you off. God is not going to somehow get you out on that, that rope or that string and somehow shake it so hard to cause you to fall off. He is not going to do that. When you cast... When you fling your burdens upon the Lord, He's going to first sustain you and provide. Two, He's going to make sure that foot does not slip. And it says a third thing. He's going to judge. He's going to take care of those enemies. Here's what He says. But you, O God, will bring them, that's the enemy, down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed, deceit will not live out half their lives. And he wants us to understand, look, We don't ask for revenge. Our solution to our enemies is not revenge. How can I get them? It's flinging it out, casting upon the Lord, knowing 
He knows all things. And he's the one that can come and judge the wicked. After he finishes his story, after he gives that one piece of advice to the nation of Israel, after he says, look, folks, when you're afraid, cast your burden on the Lord. When you're fearful, cast your burden on the Lord. When you hear my story of all my fear, all my anxiety, I just wanted to escape from all this, how I found myself fearful because I should be betrayed by a friend, and I prayed to God three times a day, and I had confidence he would answer those prayer folks. I want you to understand what you need to do. You need to cast your burden when you're afraid upon the Lord. Why? He'll sustain you. Why? He won't let you slip, totter, fall. Why? Because he'll judge the wicked. And then he says to his friend, as he finishes up, how he's going to live. So what's this mean for you, David? Here's what he says. But I will trust in you. It's a walk of faith, of confidence in times of fear. Now, I think in talking with my friend Karen, I think if she had something to say to you, she'd say the same thing. You're overwhelmed with that circumstance as a parent. When something brings anguish to your soul, when fear sets in, cast your burden and care upon the Lord. If David were here and sitting with all of us talking, chatting with each one of us individually, and each one of us told him what our fear was, He'd share with his story of how he was a fearful man as king of the nation of Israel. How he trusted God. And he would tell you this. Hey, if you're afraid, cast your burden on the Lord. So I thought we should really do this today. So you have a three by five card there. Why don't you pick up your three by five. And I want you to write on there whatever it is that you're afraid of. Whatever fear is in your heart. Whatever concern that you have. Let me assure you, we're not going to collect these. We're not going to make a prayer request list out of this. Email it to everybody in the church. Why? Because we're not casting for fish. But we are going to do something to make sure we throw it away, that we cast it, that we fling it, that we get rid of it and give it to the Lord. So take your time to write your fear down. Maybe date it. Put today's date, July 3rd, 2011. You don't have to put your name on it, but identify something that causes you fear something that overwhelms your heart and gives you anguish at night, something that causes you to even have panic attacks, something that just scares you, something that makes you just want to fly away like a dove, wander out into the wilderness and take a, stay at a lodge or a cabin for a while, or somehow somebody just provides some refuge from the storm. What is the thing? What is that one thing? But for you right now, just, Lord, and identify that burden 
that care. It's interesting when we get to the New Testament, same concept is taught in 1 Peter. Here's what we read there. Casting all your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Okay? You got your fears written down? Now what we're going to do is we're going to practice flinging these, throwing them down, casting them upon the Lord. Now, don't take this too far, okay? The trash can's not a metaphor for God, okay? I understand that. But somehow to show us we've we got to get rid of this thing, we've we got to cast it, we've got to fling it, okay? So I want the ushers to come forward. And we got, they're, going to throw their, they're going to throw theirs in the trash can first, okay? So throw yours in the trash can. Now, I don't want you to hand these down the aisle because then it's like just sharing a prayer request and they may read it and you don't want them to do that. So you need to stand up in some way and fling it. I mean, just throw it. Just cast it. Get it in there. Well, some of you guys should get some scholarships at some colleges, I think. Okay? Hey, folks, they would tell us that's a lesson we need to keep in mind all the time. There's going to be new fears in your life another day. There's going to be new fears. But it's the same way you handle them. When you're afraid... Cast your burden upon the Lord. Now, there could be somebody here today. We're going to have communion a little bit later, but you really are afraid of death. You're, you're uncertain what would happen if you died tonight. You're uncertain if you walked out these doors and somehow found yourself collapsing in the parking lot. That you're just uncertain what would happen to you at that point. You actually fear death because you're not sure what God would do with you if you show up in front of God. And you need to understand that Jesus Christ gives an invitation to you, an invitation that talks about how to respond. When I identified the idea of how he is one who won't let you be shaken, it used of a pole. It's also used of the yoke that's put over an oxen. And the current yoke that you may have is just one of oppression. You feel that sin just weighing you down. You feel that sense of sin that overwhelms you that if you stood before God, you'd know you'd be going to hell. And you're just not sure what to do with that. Christ uses this picture of a yoke, of an invitation. He says this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary or exhausted and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. I want you to just understand, Christ gives you an invitation. That invitation is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for your sins, the one who was raised on the third day, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives you the invitation, believe on me, and you will have that eternal life. You can then stand before God the Father and not fear death. 
Because there's forgiveness of sin when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So you may find yourself needing to cast your burden, which is your fear of death. And when you cast that, also place your faith and trust in Christ to have that eternal life that he provides. Well, Michael's going to come and lead us in the communion service. And we'll have that sometime after I'm done. And uh, when we do that, there'll be some singing, but we'll be sharing the table, which is also a reminder of the death of Christ and his resurrection, of the forgiveness of sin that we have. So whenever we are afraid, we cast our burden upon him. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for David and his life story of fear, a fear that came from friends betraying him, Fear even as the king of the nation of Israel. Fear of a man who says, you say that he had a heart, a a man whose heart was after God. And with that, God, we find ourselves being instructed to cast our burden, our fears, our concerns upon you. And as we've done that today, God, keep us all from going fishing for those burdens. As we cast them upon you, I ask you to come upon all of us as believers in Jesus Christ here that you sustain us, that you cause us not to slip or totter or to fall, and that confidence we have that you will judge the wicked. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.